Hello and welcome to the 49 Up podcast with George Machen and James Cohen. In this episode, we will be reviewing A Town Called Mercy as we'll bring you up to date with the latest news in gossip. Yes, welcome to episode four. I'm very happy to be here. How are you, James? I'm very tired again because we're recording this in the evening, but I'm going to trudge through it. We've got with four episodes down and we're trying to get this stuff out to the listeners, so let's let's get on with the news. Fantastic, and we've got some very, very exciting news uh, coming out in the past week. As we're getting ever closer to the Christmas special, we are getting more and more little tiny uh, releases of information, whether official from the BBC or little uh, other announcements. But uh, the first, and I think probably the most important and exciting and most um, sort of game-changing news, is the fact that it has been confirmed that a new TARDIS design is going to be featuring for the first time in the Christmas special. Uh, and we have not had a new TARDIS since the beginning of Matt Smith's first season, uh, Series 5. And uh, while, while I do adore the current TARDIS, uh, I'm going to be certainly happy for a change. I, I always love change in the show. I think it's that you have half the uh, reminiscent, oh, I don't want that to go. But then you also have that excitement of, oh, something new's coming along. I think you get that whenever a companion or a doctor changes as well as something so special to the show like the TARDIS. Yeah, I'd have to agree. With, with um, changing TARDIS consoles, it's been more of a, uh, a fact of changing doctors. But with, with this, I think we haven't really had a interior TARDIS change it half, like halfway through or at some point in the middle of a Doctor's room before, haven't we? Because I'm, sure, I'm assuming it's always used to change. No, we've had... Uh, Tom Tom Baker had both the um, regular-looking TARDIS and that wooden one, the second control room. Oh, yes, he did, yeah. I but I think that's probably the only example of it changing during the series. And, uh, yeah, so that's definitely... It's definitely a first for the show, but also um, for the modern series and the series as a whole. From the uh, photo that we've, that we've given, this little like snapshot of the top, what, what impressions do you get from it? looks quite... Uh, I mean, we're only seeing a, a tiny little segment of it, and we don't even know what particular part of the TARDIS that is meant to be. But the instant, the first thing I thought was, oh, it's blue. Like the, it, the hot, I think the lighting, they're going to subdue it a lot more. I think it's going to be a lot less flashy, prob- maybe a little bit more cold, maybe sort of reflecting... The Doctor's current persona, which leads me to believe, or uh, this is a little thing I, I picked up from this, if it is going to be like a, tar- a TARDIS that is premiering in the Christmas episode, may it be that he sort of changed the TARDIS design to and reflecting his kind of current mood, and maybe after this episode it might go back to the way it was, or maybe change again. It just seems, for, for something as sort of iconic as the TARDIS, it just seems quite cold and harsh, and I wondered whether this is going to be a permanent change or not? Well, uh, with the David Tennant TARDIS, we had that change quite a lot, because, I mean, there were, there were points where it went really dark, where they crashed into the parallel universe in Series 2, and also where the, uh, the Master made it into a paradox machine where it was all red. And it has, like, it's been sort of, sort of a multitude of, like, green and orange and all those sorts of things. So I'm assuming it might just, obviously, as you said, be a lighting thing that's happening. So maybe after the cold sort of drab grey blue dark sort of blacks 
of the Christmas special and his darker mood. Maybe it's uh, a lighting change of like interior lighting of the actual TARDIS itself as a real thing, uh, gradually changing throughout the series, uh, part two of series seven. Yeah, I mean that's, that that of course is just me, um, you know, going off on my own little theory. But no, I think I, I definitely think even if this is the uh, the the TARDIS design we're getting, or at least the sort of theme for it, I definitely think it's going to be a, a very interesting change because it looks completely opposite uh, to what we've just had, and I think that's going to be really interesting. And maybe if it is a permanent change, yeah, I definitely have no problem with it. In the uh, with between you and me, with the, in the chat. I've said that the those Gallifrey symbols, which we haven't seen since uh, the uh, blue screensaver of the uh, TARDIS screen from David Tennant, uh, it's, it, I've, I've looked at, looked it at it um, before we started this podcast, and I seem to I think I can see that some of the certain like the main circles of the symbols are slightly indented, which goes a which goes a little more to how I'm saying how I've said to you on the, on the Skype chat where I think that. They sort of look like a more uh, the modern version. I know we had round ones in the Epstein uh, Tenant times, but I think these are more like a, a, a different take on that slash the original round ones, where we've got Gallifrey symbols, but the circles of them are the indentations of the round ones, and it's a lot more stylized way of presenting them. And it's uh, as you said, a, 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 a sort of a, a stern, cold, dark effect with how they look metal, and from what I've seen in the background from the, of all those like metal blocks and symbols, it looks quite, in my opinion, it, it reminds me a bit of the Magantardis from the TV movie because it's all like gothic and like art, the arch is a lot more like just looking like metal compared to the Coral Tardis uh, in Tenet. So I mean, it, maybe we're trying to go for a little more uh, retro feeling Tardis concept. You know, I can definitely see that. that, that. Ian McKellen, uh, Ian Gandalf McKellen, or Ian Magneto McKellen, is voicing the snowman. It's extremely exciting. I'm a huge fan of Ian McKellen and his work. Uh, and the first thing I had was disappointment through by simply the fact that he is playing uh, a character and it's only his voice. I would have loved Ian McKellen to actually have been in an episode, like acting. I mean, this is this is fantastic, and I, I certainly am not complaining. But I would have loved for him as an actor to appear. But no, definitely, I, I'm so excited. He's got one of the great voices, I think, of uh, of film and television, and uh, and someone who's so iconic, such an iconic uh, British actor to be a part of Doctor Who is uh, is really special. I think. I think with uh, Ian McKellen voicing the snowman, it's going it's almost going to be like. Um... Doctor Who's own version of how Christopher Lee was always voicing death it's in the Discworld uh, uh, telly movies for Sky in uh, Color of Magic and some other ones. Well, uh, Christopher Lee was always doing the voice of death, so I think this, <laughs> this is almost like our uh, uh, the version for Doctor Who in terms of we got such a uh, high-profile Shakespearean actor voicing something in the show. Yeah, I'm also quite interested in how it's going to work as a voice, because when I saw the snowman in the trailer, I thought, oh, I didn't think they were going to speak. They look quite menacing. I thought they were going to be maybe just sort of growl or something and then go around, I don't know, freezing people. But the fact that they're actually going to be given a voice actor, quite a, a high profile voice actor, means they've probably got quite a bit to say and do. And I'm wondering whether Ian's going to be using, you know, his own voice, maybe putting something on, or whether there's going to be some kind of voice effect like they do for Nicholas Briggs when he does Daleks and Cybermen and and the other things, or whether it whether it is going to be, 
his voice because it's he, he's got such a distinct voice and i just think instantly i think that his voice doesn't quite fit with the snowman i mean i don't doubt that they're going to do it brilliantly but as a first impression i just think oh that, is that going to work it might be dependent on what part of the uh, snowman he's doing because it, it might be that there might be a i said that twice there might be three times it might be a um a sort of a, a leader snowman or some, a snowman or something like that maybe a controller one that's being voiced by him or maybe it's just that when they're just the snow, just a normal snowman before they, they may have menacing eyes and teeth maybe they just like they or they seem evil to humans and they that they have Ian McKellen's voices like oh I, I am your friend I am made of snow we're going to be friends with him and then they turn into the evil one where he might, he might be doing some sort of evil cackle or something like that to go with the uh, sharp teeth. That sounds like you're going for a bit of an army of ghosts storyline there with the snowman integrating with the public and being, oh, we're friendly, and then suddenly becoming evil. But, um, yeah, it's, it's almost a lot that way. That would that, that, be a funny parallel to bring. Uh, in other news, we've also got a bit of uh, insight into what Matt Smith's thinking about his tenure in the role, because uh, he's being quizzed again, like no one in the no one in, the, in this day and age is, who gets taken as a doctor is never going to be stopped being asked, "When are you going to finish?" It's like they've already just started. Why are you asking that? Let them do it. But with um, with Matt, he said in a uh, an interview with uh, Bang Showbiz, he said. We've got Doctor Who's 50th anniversary coming up in November 2013, and one assures there'll be another Christmas special after that, and I hope to be a part of it. I take each year as it comes. All good things come to an end, but my mum is aghast at the thought of me ever not being the Doctor. The show is a start, and we'll continue on with that. So, uh, we've got a bit of a uh, confirmation that Matt obviously will leave it at some point, but we might just be getting... We are confirmed that he should try and get to the end of the uh, Christmas special, maybe in Christmas 2013. Just wondering what will be happening after that. Well, I definitely, while this is being like labelled as news, it really isn't that much different to uh, what he's always said, which is he takes each year as it comes and just see what see what comes up. And I mean, the only difference here is he kind of confirms he's going to be here for the 50th anniversary, which we are kind of like fans and public like it sort of presumed that and he's even said it would be kind of stupid for him to leave the year before the big celebration like what what kind of actor would pass that up uh, and if we if we do have him until the end of next, next year that means he'll finish series seven and then he'll have whatever they do for the fifth year and then another special that means he will have done three at least yeah three series and then an amalgamation of specials from the Christmas ones he's already done to the one coming up to the whatever happens next year. So at that point, he pretty much will have done as much as David Tennant did in the role. So anything beyond that will be will be the longest serving um, modern doctor. So, I mean, that just not that he should or shouldn't stay uh, any longer or shorter than that. But I think that for me, anyway, that sort of puts it in perspective that we've almost had Matt Smith be the doctor for as long as David Tennant was um, episode wise. And uh yeah, that, so that's um, something to think about, I guess. I mean, I, I certainly have no uh, issue with Matt Smith staying for uh, a long time. Yeah, I'm, I feel that there's still so much more to do with his Doctor. But um, yeah, the point you also raised about uh, they always public uh, the media are always asking when you're going to leave. I think David Tennant said in an interview when he was still the Doctor, he said that um, when the previous Doctor leaves, 
um, it's always, oh, who's the next doctor? Who's the next doctor? The moment it's revealed who the next doctor is, everyone just keeps asking when you're going to leave. Like, there's no middle point where you're just allowed to be the doctor. It's always, when are you going to be the doctor? And then when are you leaving? Would you, how would you feel like about Matt Smith leaving? What, are you, are you ready for a new doctor or are you ready to carry on with him? Um, with, with him being the 11th, I'm a bit skeptical on how we're going to be getting on with the 12th and 13th, especially with all these uh, fan um, uh, discussions about, the, obviously, the regenerations that have happened. One with uh, David Tennant at the end of Stolen Earth, where he, where we think he used one up to save him, to stop him from self from changing at that point after being shot by the dark. So I think there is going to be quite a lot, quite a bit of uh, continuity and um, sort of story story uh, mechanics to get through when we get to the 12th Doctor, because there, there, there is a, quite a few factors to interject to say, is this going to be the last one, or are we going to go with the, the Doctor might have more regenerations, and, or what? Because, I mean, we, Moffat said that, has said, to do with the 50th, gen, 50th anniversary, that as well as celebrating the past, past 50, we're also looking to the next 50. It's not really going to work that well if we've gotten to the 11th out of 13 bodies, in only, in only the first 50 years, and then we get to the 12th within probably about one or two years after the 50th anniversary. And it's just going to be a point where we can't think of anything to do with the Doctor because he's because he's got his limited lifespan because of using up his, uh, his concept that extends the show further on. In an interview, actually it wasn't an interview, it was a panel that was put online, maybe this year, might have been last year, Stephen Moffat was asked by a fan, he, they said, well, how are you going to... Um, address the problem of running out of regenerations. And Stephen said, well, if we get that far, we'll use standard BBC protocol and make something up. <laughs> um, so, so I really, I, I, for me, the issue that a lot of fans are having uh, about, oh, how are they going to make it so the Doctor can live longer? If the show is still making money and it's still popular, they're not going to let something that was made, uh, something that was decided on back in, I don't even know what episode it was first said, it was 13 Lives. But I don't think they'll let that stop um, a show that's so popular and making so much money from it. But uh, I do certainly think with just project, this is a bit off topic now, projecting where the show is going to go in the future. And I think some people have also voiced this a bit as well. I think that when Matt leaves, Stephen will leave. And I think that when they decide to leave, I think the show will go off air for a bit. Uh, yeah, I, I could agree with that. I, I, it, although it will be in my opinion, a real blow to the blow to the BBC if we do that. But we'll just have to see what, what comes when it when it's time. And I, I'm hoping that it will keep going. I, I mean, I think we, most fans hope it keeps going. I mean, the other thing that I've discussed with people is that uh, when Stephen leaves, I think it will um, it'll hit the show harder than when both when Russell left and when David left and when Matt leaves. Uh, mainly because I think that I don't think there is another writer currently who could run the show uh and the question of whether the new writer could do it as well or better or not as good as steven is besides the point i think it's the fact that there is not actually a writer out there who is known about who could take the show over i think one of the reasons people were so accepting of uh series five and why it continued to be so good even when we lost uh the head showrunner and arguably, arguably the most popular doctor at the time was because it was being handed over to the person who had written some of the best episodes of the uh of the previous four years so it's I think it's to, for Stephen Moffat to hand over the gauntlet. It will it will hit the show quite hard, I think. And I I, I have had debates with uh, other fellow fans about who 
um, or if there are any writers that could possibly take over? Uh, with with how it transitioned to Russell from Russell to Stephen, I think with how David said he was leaving along with Russell, I think with that it was um, Russell had a had a like a, a preamble time to be able to decide who he was going to have succeed him. And then obviously Stephen was one of the better choices to do it because obviously he'd been working on the, on the show and um, he'd obviously got a big uh, repertoire of work to back that up. I think if Stephen's going to leave, then um, he will like have to be planning ahead to say, oh, this is going to be the specific daytime uh, leaving and it'll give him enough time between the decision to leave and also the transition time to find a suitable writer. In my opinion, I've heard that the suggestion of Neil Gaiman would, be, would, would uh, happen. And I personally think, from what we've got with The Doctor's Wife, you may not like have experience of writing, of being like a head writer of a big uh, series like Doctor but I think the experience of it might, might give him the edge and the enthusiasm to do something like that to take on the uh, mantle. I mean yeah speaking of like having handing it over to a, a writer who's had past experience on the show and you know like how it was pretty a quite an obvious choice it seemed to hand it over to Stephen I have a little sense and again this we're going miles off topic but it is something I've wanted to talk about on here um the uh the way that in this this is the first season in uh for season, series seven in quite actually in all of modern Doctor Who in which multiple episodes have been given to the same writer who isn't the lead writer. We've had two from Chris Chibnall, and we're going to have two from Mark Gaddis and two from Neil Cross. Is this Stephen's way of kind of having a look and seeing who can handle more than one episode and keep the quality up? Uh, which is, again, you mentioned Neil Gaiman, which is why I'm really looking forward to uh, Neil Gaiman's episode in this series run to see. Because a lot of people have said to me, like, oh, Neil Gaiman would be so amazing. I, I'm reserving judgment on that until I see another episode, because if this next episode, maybe The Doctor's Wife, and I'm not saying it is, because I, I haven't experienced any of Neil Gaiman's other writings, so I don't know how good he is, but um, the, the Doctor's Wife was great, but that might have been a one-hit wonder, we don't know. So when he gets this next episode out, if that's equally as impressive, he might become the next Stephen Moffat to what Stephen Moffat was to Russell. So yeah, I think it's there, there's a few candidates if we look at who's written multiple stories in the Moffat era, but I don't think any of the people who have have quite got the edge uh, with the exception, almost for me, being Chris Chibnall, because he does have experience showrunning because he showran the first two seasons of Torchwood. And while he not, maybe he doesn't write the best episodes, but I definitely think he could probably handle running a show. I think if Neil can nail the Savman episode that he's doing with, with enough popularity and sort of satisfaction to normal viewers, then I think that will be the... Uh, sort of the nail in the coffin for making him a good candidate to take over. Because I mean, if you can make one of Doctor Who, one of Doctor Who's most iconic enemies more uh, scary again compared to what we've been in the modern series, and do it well, then I think you, you're obviously doing something really, really well. Correct. Yeah, fantastic. Finally, uh, we have the news that a poll was taken out by an UK internet provider and phone service provider, Plusnet. Uh, the poll was asking which British television uh, programme viewers were most proud of. And uh, the reason we're mentioning it, of course, is because Doctor Who won. It won with 48% of the votes of those 2,000 people um, questioned. 
And Downton Abbey came second, 44%, which is very surprising, especially since they won the National Television Award in January for Best Drama, with uh, Doc 2 listening to them. So, I mean, how is it that, that this majority of 2,000 like Doc 2 more, and yet Doc 2 couldn't win a National Television Award against them? Is, is, is... Maybe it's because this is slight... I don't know, I don't know, maybe how do you get a voting position on this poll? I mean, I don't know how widespread Plusnet is. And also... National Television Awards, um, you can vote for them anywhere in the world. I voted in those. So, yeah, that kind of changed. I don't know whether that's a, that's a problem with their website, but, yeah, just I, I click on the link every year and go, oh, yeah, I'll vote for these, and so I can vote for Doctor Who. I mean, yeah, I mean, so I, um, I happen to love Downton Abbey, but, yeah, I, I would definitely vote Doctor Who over it for um, Most Proud Of because of its longevity and its... Uh, it's huge historical sort of significance in the uh, in UK television. It's, it's a way with Doctor that, 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 that we are proud that it's got out there, it's got more popular, it's, it's, a national inst- it's an international institution, it's got high production values, very high production values now, and it's getting to loads of people that love the stories, and it keeps going and going and going with all the popularity it got, that we're proud to have a show like this that belongs to us British that everyone in the world is just loving more and more I, I, I can agree with those 2,000 with, with the 44, 48% of those 2,000 people saying that it's our most proud achievement in British television I definitely go with that I mean I'm not even I don't even live there but I can definitely say I, I can't imagine any other show ha- being such a great success story I mean yes it went away and it crashed and burned in the 90s but then it's come back and I just I love it as a as a as a way that like if if it hadn't have come back I would not be a fan of it I would not be I would not probably end up of watching the classic series it, it's it's not only has it created a brand new television show program that's amazing it's given people a gateway into uh, 50 years now of uh, previous stories and episodes to enjoy and it just shows that yeah it's always it's always been here it's it's such a great part of uh, the culture and I, I really don't think there's any other show that is quite like it and i mean i don't mean necessarily from the huge support and fandom because i know you know you uh us has got star trek and there's other big shows that have a huge following you know that have gone on for ages but i just think there's there's something very unique about Doctor yeah yeah i, I, I agree all the way so uh that is the news for this week And we're back for another review this week. We're getting through Series 7 quite quite briskly. We're at Episode 3, the halfway point of Series 7 Part 1 with A Town Called Mercy. Make peace with your gods. Once they were your gods too. Not anymore. Fantastic. Now, before we before we start breaking the episode down, I, I want to do what I've done the previous two weeks, which is just give my general thought of the whole episode um, and just general things I think about it. And I've got I've got two, maybe. 
One is that it looks spectacular. Like they, they're keeping up the standard of something looking amazing. I think the on-location shooting is probably the best they've ever done on the show, period, both classic and modern. I don't think the show has ever used locations so effectively. It looked like a film. Like I think it, it was, it was it's gorgeous. Uh, the second is that I'm not too fussed on anything else about this episode. And that's gonna, I don't know where you stand, but I definitely, I know there's been a lot of, um, this, this season is really, like we were talking about last week, it's really divided a lot of fans on episodes. And I know Town Called Mercy is, is for some people the runaway best episode by, by far. For me, uh, it's, it was a little bit like, well, yep, this is an episode of Doctor Who, but I, I didn't quite get the uh, whole, this is, amazing doctor who with uh in my initial impressions it it the script uh to make it because it was like this is like the season of blockbuster film-esque episodes to me i think this had the best movie-esque script the pacing the characters the action the drama i think everything was on part this episode it was probably as you said it was it was probably the highlight of the of the whole half season that it probably came out on almost everyone's top of the lists and i think as being halfway through the season out of my top five i think this is halfway up my uh, scale of the five the first five episodes not not because obviously not because i think it's average but uh, obviously, I think the the, the uh, two before, the two in front of him, were slightly more uh, interesting and engaging for him. But I still think that uh, the, a town full of mercy was the grand cowboy meets sci-fi esque story that worked in almost every single aspect. Yeah, I definitely think I want. I, I should restay. I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with the episode. Me saying I'm not fussed on it doesn't mean that I think it's bad television. That I think it's bad Doctor Who. That I think anything about it is bad. I just it didn't leap out at me at being like this is the best one, which a lot of people have sort of been telling saying to me. And I, I think that that's what I'm trying to get at. No, I, I definitely like it. I, I agree. There's there's nothing wrong with the episode. It is it's great. Uh, I think it. It's it's kind of what they were trying to go for all those years ago with the gunfighters, which I've just I, I saw um, a few a few weeks ago, and like there's no contest for which one is the better western. Uh, this this just this just works on a on, you're right it works as a western definitely. I'm I'm not sure for me whether my my um my issues with it come from the fact that it come from its placement in the run or whether I I was kind of at this stage more in the mood to like be saying goodbye to the ponds and that. And then you get the story that really doesn't feature them. And it's all about the doctor. And I mean, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, episode. I think it, it, regardless of um, how enjoyable it is, it's very interesting and very, uh, very worth talking about. So let's uh, move into the uh, first little chunk that we'll analyze. Let's, let's do it from the, um, the very beginning to the uh, title sequence where we have uh, I can't remember the, the name of the um, the first guy to be killed at the very start. It's, it's Carla something because I mean they were all they were all Carlins, but I can't remember what this Carla was. But I think with with that opening, it was a bit sort of iffy with that robot. But I I, st- I think that the, the for, for the entire episode, the sound design was amazing. The soundtrack, the sound effects. The, the all of the all of the 
all of the sounds I thought were amazing because with the uh, with it being a western, you've obviously got to have some sort of reference to uh, the click, the clank, clinky clanking of uh, spurs on boots, and I think that sort of mix of that kind of sound with the uh, sort of clunk, the, the the deep clunking of a robot's feet for the the uh, the, the gunslinger. I think was a very good choice of how to make how to make an intimidating enemy that was uh, still trying to keep with the vibe of the Western, where it's just going, well, you obviously know it's trying to be sort of a, 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 a desperado with spurs on, but he's also a rogue, but he's also a cyborg, so he's still got that deep thudding clunk of the uh, of the of the cyborg's feet, and the, and also the music. So obviously uh, harmonica esque that you're getting us in a spaghetti western or anything like that. So it it, it was a west. It, it, as I said uh, before, we stood before before now. It's it's sci-fi meets western in probably the best way possible. Yeah, it's definitely um, not a western, and I think that, and by that I mean uh, it's not like. Doctor Who does a Western. It is a science fiction story in a Western setting, which I think is a very big difference. Doctor Who does a Western, uh, would be, you'd tell the set, you'd tell a, a very, you'd tell a classic sort of Western story in the Western setting. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think this is Doctor Who doing a Western. It is using the Western setting to tell its own story, which is kind of true, I think, of many of the, uh, historical, uh, set, uh, episodes. You know, you, you, You've got this historical setting, and this is more particular in the modern series when you've got these sci-fi elements, but they're using the setting to tell a sci-fi story uh, and less to use the setting for its, its historical uh, aspects to it. But uh, no, definitely. You mentioned the music as well, and I remember the first time I noticed the music, and this is just going on a bit to when they uh, enter uh, the town called Mercy, uh, there's this, it's just, it was so beautifully western-y, and it just, it, it, I thought this is, again, we, we mentioned production values, and I think we might have to, Stop mentioning production values of this episode because we'll just keep mentioning them because they're also fantastic. But yeah, the, mu- the music in this episode was spectacular. I mean, I Murray Gold, I take my hat off to you once again. Basing off that, we'll be moving to the next part where the uh, Doctor, Amy, and Rory arrive in the town, and they're all strolling through town and people looking out windows and uh, occasional bystanders are coming out of uh, their dwellings, just really quiet like and subtly and just checking out new um, arrivals in town. As I said before, with the con- con- as, we, as we're saying with the combination of uh, sci-fi and western, I think with with this story, it's 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 a western style t- storytelling method with sci-fi characters and concepts mixed mixed in by replacing like if like the Doctor or Carla Tech or any of those characters could have been humans, but obviously you just convey, you just convert what they've done or, or how they are to a contemporary human uh, equivalent. But we're just es- uh, elevating them to the, to the standards of um, uh, science fiction with uh, aliens and spaceships and whatever, and alien technology. But it's, 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 as, tip, as people have said, it's, it's, it's almost a typical Western story, but we've just, as, as I said before, we've replaced characters and concepts and s- small plot points with science fiction. It's almost a, 
where you're blending the two genres together in such a way that you can believe that if uh, aliens were real and they existed in well, if the aliens exist, that this would this is most likely how it would go in those sorts of times if this happened. That it blends so well. Yeah, most certainly. So moving on to uh, when the Doctor gets uh, thrown out of the town, I really enjoyed the misdirection they employed here in the script to uh, make you mention, you know, the the other Doctor and question uh, what what's going on. I, I love it when they when they do this in the series, and they do it not not often, but when they do mention another Doctor, whatever kind of Doctor it may be, there's always this sort of excitement. I remember when uh, in way back in The Doctor Dances, when the Doctor's told that he's got to go see the Doctor, and there was this excitement, like, ooh, there's another Doctor. And I mean, I don't think ever, anyone ever thought it was going to be actually the Doctor. And again here, when, they, when they've got this, um, when the gunslinger says, you know, I'm looking for the Doctor or whatever in the pre-title sequence, I, I enjoy that as a uh, misdirection. And then when he says, um, when they find out the Doctor is the Doctor, and they throw him out, I just, I, I, love, I love that. I think things like this might be the writers having sort of like an, 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 in, an, in, an in-job joke, an inside, jo- an inside joke where, where if they keep doing things like the situations where they have another Doctor who is not actually another incarnation or anything like that, that at some point, if we do get a multi-Doctor story, they're just going to have a line in the episode for any, any, any of the other incarnations happen. That, uh, it's like the double, the double bluff, and you think, no, it can't be. It's going to be so. It's going to be someone else. And then you, then you just get the other incarnation saying, "Oh no, blow my mind." I think that's going to be like yeah. an inside joke or something like that. Why have I'm just, I'm just theorising. No, that's great. I agree. Yeah, because there's so it's happened quite a bit, and then the moment it is actually, actually the Doctor, it will be absolutely amazing. So we uh, we move on to uh, meet Carla Jex, and we. Uh, Get introduced to uh, the concept of the gunslinger with uh, Ben with Ben Browder as um... oh, I forgot what his character name. Oh, uh, Isaac Isaac the sheriff, who I think was even though he didn't appear too much, was a very good uh, addition to the Doctor cast in terms of like one one time appearances. He was a very very good at being in science fiction. Yeah, definitely. And um, speaking of Jex as well, I mean, he wasn't particularly a character I particularly took to, and I think that's probably the intention of the portrayal and the writing, where you're meant to be uncertain because he is a uh, a character of questionable uh, morality, which is obviously what the whole episode is really about. So yeah, I was always quite sort of like, oh, I don't know if I like this guy or not. I think that's exactly how the other characters are feeling. They're not quite sure uh, what what is going on. But I definitely think the uh, the the concept of the gunslinger and how it was created and how it where it came from, I I really like that. I think that that really resonated with me because I was at that point I was currently taking a course in uh, ethics, so this kind of played right into what I was studying at that moment. And I really I, I enjoy the uh, the the ethical problems there, and the re- reason you can justify what what uh, Carla Jex does quite easily it, from from a certain perspective. You can say, well, yeah, fair enough. You wanted to. You wanted to survive. You made this cyborg thing, but you know you did it through uh, bad means. Yeah, with, with, it, it's it's a, it's a uh, comment. It, with the whole episode, a comment on many different forms of morality, and it's as as, as many people have said, it's the, the episodes that make you think about certain concepts are the ones that really interest you a lot, and the ones this has got several different morality aspects. 
but the main ones obviously with the uh, doctor going against his mer- going against his mercy because of how much he's failed him in the past is a really strong one and this this whole it's almost the, the way in the in the title it's not just describing the town obviously saying that this is a story about a town called mercy but it's also in a way it describes a lot of what what you're going to get in the story in terms of it's challenging your way of thinking of thinking about certain situations with how you treat a person like who looks like Jack, who just looks like a, a, a an average sort of a human a human being who you think might not be of any harm to anyone, but then you find out that uh, he's done some horrible things. But then you find out that those horrible things were to combat other people's horrible things because he was trying to defend his uh, home planet's species. But then obviously you get the morality that. Yeah, that there's no that there can't be any cost for peace even if it's obviously to create these things to stop war that it's obviously getting more violence which is another uh, theory, uh, concept which gets explored with the townspeople wanting to give uh, jacks up later like the doctor did because of uh, Isaac died so I mean it's, it's a con- it's almost like the concepts of morality are just spreading between everyone there's this one. This there's this, this there's this part of the morality that the doctor's already been through, and it's just spread like a virus, like violence does to every other person in the village, in, in the village or the town. I mean, and then obviously the doctor has to say, no, I've, I've experienced this morality uh, conflict in my head, and I found it doesn't work if we do the wrong decision. So you have to understand that that's the wrong decision. Let's not do it under that condition. Let's do it in the, in the better one for both Jex and the rest of you. And we'll try and trick the gunslinger. So it, it, it makes you think a lot, and it, it, it gets to you personally in many different ways. It's a very clever script. I think uh, Toby Whithouse really, um, he, he's on form here. And I think all his scripts are definitely, um, that he's done in the past, they've all been uh, at least sort of, you know, good or better. There's never He hasn't written any, uh, any uh, bad stories or any uh, subpar ones. And I think, yeah, this is definitely, um, it's all in keeping with, with what you would expect from a writer like him. Especially after what he did with the God Complex and th- what was raised in that, which I think was some very uh, interesting stuff in there. Again, an episode which I don't particularly sort of actively think, like, gush over and think this is amazing, but I definitely have this amazing amount of respect for it and what, what they uh, what they did with it. Uh, I'm also loving this one, because uh, it's about, that. It, I might have been this point, but it might be a bit further on, but uh, it's uh, when when the Doctor's talking to Amy. And when he name, when he name drops the Master, that, that's an ultimate fan moment for me. I just think, oh, brilliant, Matt Smith's Doctor has mentioned the Master. Um, which was great. I mean, and they used that in the trailer, uh, one of the early trailers, and that was a little bit of an unfair tease because I thought, no, they're not bringing back the master, are they? I thought that'd be amazing, and they didn't. It was just a little reference, but you know, time will tell. Yeah, well, uh, if we go into a, bit, a few specifics when we get to the, uh, as we get into the second half of the um, episode, uh, for, uh, as a first point, what was your opinion? From from start to finish of the Gunslinger uh, as, as a character, I thought he was he was interesting. I don't think he's like one of the uh, the great Doctor Who creations. I think you know I think he was definitely there more to service the story. I did enjoy the uh, how he was designed. I I liked his appearance. I enjoyed when you got the uh, point of view shots from him and you saw his like his sort of Terminator esque targeting system. I, I I enjoyed that. I thought that that felt really modern and really um really kind of science fiction and one of the one of the sort of most sciencey fictiony bits we we actually got um 
But I, I think my lack of being able to say much about him is because I think he was a little bit forgettable, to be honest. I don't think he's he's not really a focus of the story. He is more the catalyst for uh, for the story. And yeah, I don't I don't have I don't really have that much of an opinion on him. I just think, yep, that's the gunslinger. There wasn't much. Um, I think he was cleverly designed. You know, they've they've spent money on that. They've made it look good. They've got a really cool voice, uh, which I which I loved the voice. A lot of people didn't, but I I thought it was great. I think a, a point that I have about the gunslinger is that um, I think there are the three main players in the in the uh, story are obviously Jex, the gunslinger, and the Doctor. And I think they are three aspects of anger and insanity. I think the gunslinger is is the is the uh, concept of anger in revenge. Um, Carla Jex is the uh, concept of anger in guilt, and the Doctor is the concept of anger in mercy. As we get all these different concepts coming together to bring to to, to obviously create the uh, story of Town Gold Mercy, is that you have the uh, anger in in the gunslinger where he's obviously hunted down the uh, people who turned him into a monster and then eventually when uh, Carla Jax commits suicide he uh, finds that he has no he has no meaning of life so it was a pointless endeavor and then when it did end he felt he, he almost destroyed himself because he thought he, he wouldn't go, be able to go back into society and when he was given that little ray of hope by uh, the doctor insisting that he could be a protector of mercy then that brought him together as a, as a, as a character in another part of his life. With uh, Jex, it was the anger of his guilt, because like, he couldn't take the guilt of all those people that he had, to, obviously, to kill or whatever, further research into uh, developing ways to win the war. And then his eventual uh, ray of hope was saying, that if I give the Gunslinger uh, an end to the turmoil of having to chase me in his own suicide, that it would uh, bring together a more completeness to his self with the development of obviously saying that with in his belief that all the souls of those he'd wronged would be on his shoulders when he climbs to heaven and all that sort of stuff. That that was really emotionally te- uh, heart tugging. And with the doctor's anger and mercy, it's just that he he is given all that anger that in previous times he's been merciful to his enemies it's never or it's, it's almost never been good that he's obviously had countless deaths on his watch and all that and then it's the little shine of hope in his life is his companions in this way it's Amy and Rory and the, the sacrifice of Isaac that brings him back to reality to think that this that this there's a better way of going about things than trying to go the easy way out which he's been pushed to with how Jex has presented himself I thought they were going to um, tie in the Doctor's actions from Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. One, they didn't. Uh, but when I heard about what this sort of the, the synopsis for this story, I thought, "Oh, great! Those actions are going to be sort of addressed." Uh, they weren't. But do you think this story has any implications on what happened in the previous episode? I think it's carrying on, but it's it's not. It's obviously unless they directly referenced it. I don't think it's anger based on that because it's as he said he was angry more of the way that his mercy costs him more with the mercy in um, dinosaurs on the spaceship that was almost that was practically uh, reimbursed in how he killed Solomon but in this way 
it's more fueled by his whole lifetime of giving mercy and it not giving any dividends or reward to to preventing any death. So I think this was this was driven a lot more by his history rather than the singular event of the dinosaurs because I think it was a completely separate entity which actually got resolved with killing Solomon. Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. But I think there's still that side of his character, as I said in the last episode, that we haven't seen. That this one was his mercy that had actually snapped for a second time, but it was for a different reason. Definitely. I mean, you can probably look back into so many stories and go like, oh, if he'd have just not had that mercy there, he, he would. It, the situation would be so much better. Um you know, I mean, the first place I go, you know, is Genesis of the Daleks, where he he can't destroy them, even though he he um he really should. Um, and like thinking about because of those actions, yeah, he never. Um, am I thinking of the right story? That's the right story. Uh, where we, yeah, because he was uh, trying to because he, he wanted because he was sent to kill the Daleks, but then he said that yeah, it, yeah. it was the uh, conundrum that if he destroyed them before they were even uh, created, that he. Uh, be de- de-unite. Is it de-uniting, disuniting, or, or obviously alliances that would be formed between civilizations and their fear of the Daleks. And that, and that, it's, so it's that conundrum. That, it's all, I think that also relates to his um, his uh, conf- his, in, his inner conflict about fixed and unfixed points in time. That like like in like in Fires of Pompeii, where he said that there were two choices. One where he didn't let the uh, Earth explode, not the Earth, sorry, the uh, part of the Vesuvius explode. If he didn't let Vesuvius explode, then the whole world would be taken over by the Pyrovalg. Or if he did, then the uh, only Pompeii would suffer deaths because of the eruption, but it also took out the Pyrovalgs, uh, ending their possible uh, death grip on the Earth. So I think I think it's. Uh, it's 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 an it's a point that we get with the doctor that in pat in the past his mercy has been a, a very stressful thing for him and this and I think this with the town for mercy and dinosaurs on the spaceship it might be the result of that stress has just become too much for him in this eleventh incarnation getting towards the, uh, the the end of the pods. So overall, uh, where do you count this on the scale of the first, uh, on the one to five scale of the uh, first five episodes of series seven, George? Well, as you may have guessed from what I've said, I do rank this my least favourite. Uh, that by no means uh, means that I think it was a bad episode or unenjoyable. Uh, I just like the other ones uh, more than than it. So currently, I have that in uh, fifth place. Dinosaurs at third and Asylum at second. I would play, as I said near the start of the uh, review, I said I'd uh, put this halfway, uh, halfway up. So um, in the uh, in the ranking of my episodes at the minute, I have got Asylum of the Daleks second, uh, Town Called Mercy third, and Dinosaurs on a Spaceship fourth. So we're, we're getting to that point where everyone will know what our uh, last. Our last ranking will be when we've done next week's review. We are still looking for a third host for the 49 Up podcast. Uh, so far, we have had no uh, contact, big contacts from people who, who are interested. Whether this is because people are not listening or just people aren't bothered, uh, I'm not sure. But please, 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 if you have any interest in joining us in discussing episodes of Doctor Who and discussing the latest news uh, leading up to the uh, 
50th anniversary, please do get in contact with us at the 49 up podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and we will, we will most certainly get back to you and, uh, just, just put a quick little message about why you want to be a co-host. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not something you can pass or fail. It's just to let us know about you as a person. Um, and yeah, we, we would love to have you, uh, for, for as, for, even if you don't want to be involved, uh, all the time, if you just want to be involved, uh, now and again or, or infrequently, uh, we, we are perfectly happy to have you and fit you in, in whatever way suits us all best. Yeah, I'm, I'm all fine with that. We, we just, we, we really want, it's just that we feel that we, we, uh, as well as obviously with timekeeping and all that, it's, it feels a lot better to have a third opinion just to, to differentiate between two halves because I mean some of the time we might both be really enjoying an episode but we might want to have a opinion that isn't going to be as similar and might even hate an episode so I mean, we, get, we get more points of view if we have a, uh, another person in the uh, 49 podcast to give their uh, take on episodes as they come out in the next few months uh, and also uh, uh, retconning their uh, reviews of the episodes we're doing now and uh, to uh, Christmas special when we get to the point. So uh, yeah, please get in contact to uh, T H E four nine P O D. No, U P P O D. Uh, I should be saying I should be spelling podcast. T H E four nine U P podcast at gmail dot com. Just label your uh, email like. Um, uh, co-host application or whatever and we'll uh, obviously get back to you uh, if anyone's uh, going to be in contact and uh, try and fit you in so next podcast we should we should talk about what is coming up then um, it's mo- most likely that I'm not going to be here uh, are you still doing one? I, sh- I should still be doing it I mean, I mean we're supposed to be uh, recording separately so uh, we shall be uh, ed- editing our two reviews together just, just like separately views but I mean we'll be trying to uh, make it a little more organised and um, to get the main points that everyone makes and I mean you, you should be having you should hopefully be having a special guest to help you with the uh, recording so we'll be getting a hopefully a, a one-off uh, alternative um, opinion on the power of three for next week We have arrived at the end of another podcast, our fourth episode. It's gone well. I can't quite believe we've been doing this for uh, almost a month. We seem to get quite a lot out in our reviews. I mean, I'm going to be very astounded by how much material we're going to have for the Angels Take Manhattan. I think it's just probably going to take like two hours, two hours of usable, um, usable audio that we'll be able to get rid of because it's all too good. Well, we shouldn't blow our own trumpet, but definitely we seem to, we seem to really um, not only really get into these episodes but really start discussing a lot of the uh the sort of less to do with the actual episode itself but the sort of implications it has on other stories and the fan community which i think is very good we sort of do our own take on it which is fantastic anyway uh next week things are going to be different for the 49 up podcast because i have uh someone special in my life who is going to be appearing in it uh, for the first time in a long long time um so james and i will be recording separate reviews for the power of three for next Friday, and uh, I, I'm not particularly uh, fussed that we're missing out on a proper discussion for that particular episode. Um, I think it's going to be quite straightforward to review that um, individually. And uh, James will be alone in his endeavour of bringing you the news and information uh, for the 50th anniversary and the snowmen, 
I certainly hope there isn't a huge avalanche of news between now and then. Otherwise, you'll be swamped with uh, having to do things on your own. But I imagine you'll you'll manage. And uh, yes, in my review, we might be joined uh, by by someone else in my review of The Power of Three. But uh, that will be uh, decided upon at a later date. So, from me, George. And me, James. This is goodbye from the fourth episode of Postnormal Podcast. Please send any feedback as well as your uh, and applications to become a co-host to the 49uppodcast at gmail.com. That's G-H-E-49-U-P-podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hello and welcome to the 49 Up Podcast. Uh, let me just step here. I'm allowed one. I'm allowed one mistake, and then yeah. we'll we'll do it properly. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, there's been an interview released. Uh, uh, there's been an. I'll start again. There's been an interview released uh, featuring uh, Chris. Uh, it's a hard name to say. Okay. So, out of series five, how do you rank this? You mean seven? Yeah, I don't know why I said five. <laughs> uh, five episodes. And George mentioned today we will we bring you up to. D- uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. Uh, tongue Too many bees. <laughs> Hang on. Right, Hang on. <clears throat> <laughs> sorry, wanted to, wanted to cough without interrupting. Now we have the review of episode two of series seven, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. I've been looking forward to this one because I think out of the uh, series five episodes that have come out uh, so far. Series 5? Oh, it wasn't Series 5. Um, <laughs> series 7. There, when he's like, Doctor, my balls! And... <laughs> I did not think we were going to get so invested in uh, the um, Doctor Who characterization for um, for that for that him killing Solomon. That, that really got away with itself for a bit. It's with George Machen and James Cohen in this episode. Ah! Ah! Damn it. Uh, I was trying to say real me. Uh, finally, in the news, or at least news that's worth uh, uh, talking about, we have the uh, the fact that the uh, a poll was carried out um, of British. Uh, uh, Let's start that whole bit again. Um, it was I was I had not have a clue what I was saying. Okay. <clears throat> finally, we have the piece of news that is. Uh, oh God! I need to think about what I'm going to say before I come out. Finally, we have the news that a poll was recently carried out uh, throughout Britain. Britain. And, oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. What is... Who, what poll is it? Finally in the news uh, is the news that we had... Uh, oh, good grief. <laughs> I, don't, I can't lead into it. Uh.